What's up, everybody? Man, I'm glad to be back with you guys. It does feel a little strange, though, after 55 straight episodes of talking about Revelation and the end times and what is to come and all that. It does feel a little strange moving on to other topics. But I am grateful that God guided me through that, and I hope that you guys were blessed by it. And if you're still going through the Revelation period, you know, uh, and the episodes we did on that, I hope you guys will enjoy them. If there's any you missed, go back and pick them up. But I am excited to move on to what God has next. And today we're going to pick up with a study on the seven feasts that God gave to Moses for his people to take part in and adhere to. This, these seven feasts are important and can be directly associated with Jesus and his ministry. You know, they foreshadow parts of Jesus' ministry to redeem mankind. Now, the first feast that God established for his people, Israel, is Pesach or Passover. Actually, when the first Passover happened in Egypt, God established that month, which was which is known as Nisan. He established that month as the first month of their calendar year. Um, this also established Passover, of course, as the first feast of the year. Due to the differences in our calendar versus the Jewish calendar, the actual time frame of the feast, um, when I say feast, I'm talking about Pesach or Passover, it fluctuates on our calendar. You know, because our calendar is a Gregorian calendar, um, and so it's different from the Jewish calendar. And due to that, there's a fluctuation each year as far as when the feasts take place according to our calendar. This year, the Feast of Pesach or Passover begins on April the 8th and lasts for seven days. Or if you, that's if you're in Israel, and if you're not, if you're outside of Israel, it's eight days. Now, we can get into that's the details of that stuff later. This is, though, it's very important and highly significant, um, this feast, this celebration. However, over the years, man has done what they always seem to do, which is add to or embellish the rules governing it and making it so much stricter and so much more uh, cumbersome than God made it out to be. If you read scripture, it is simple instructions and yes, he does add to it a little bit later, but man goes way beyond that, just like they did with the fence laws that were set up by religious leaders, you know, with ridiculous restrictions in an attempt to prevent man from breaking God's laws. You know, the feasts like, you know, Passover, feasts like Passover were strictly governed even beyond what God required uh, sometimes. So, we, what we want to focus on is what God says about Passover and its importance for all their for all the generations, along with what Christ had to say about Passover. Also, don't forget we celebrate when, or we will celebrate Passover during the millennial kingdom when Jesus reigns for a thousand years. Now, with that said, let's take a look at how Passover was established. The Hebrew people who became the nation of Israel came to Egypt due to a famine. And after being there many years, the Pharaoh became concerned that the Hebrew numbers, you know, they were having so many kids and reproducing at a rate that the Egyptians were nervous and afraid that the Hebrew population would surpass the Egyptians. And then that would lead to them overtaking or overrunning Egypt. And so what the Pharaoh did was he decided to enslave the people, the Hebrew people. And so for roughly 400 years, they served Egypt as slaves, and you know then God heard their cries. And, you know after many generations, multiple generations, God heard their cries and the cries of His people, and He called upon Moses to lead them out of Egypt. 
However, the Pharaoh would not let them go so easily, and so God sent judgment on Egypt. And it, was, it wasn't until the tenth and final judgment that it finally broke the Pharaoh down and caused him to let God's people go. This final judgment began what we know as Passover or Pesach. Let's take a look at what the scripture says, uh, and you can find this account in Exodus 12, in verses 1 through 30. Let's highlight a few things as we go along. Like I said before, um, in verse 1, God establishes the month they are in currently as the first month for their year. Then he gives very specific instructions for everyone to follow. Every house must take a lamb and prepare it. And if you, if your house was too small, you were to share with the, the nearest neighbor. The preparations were made to be made according to how much each person would eat. You get the idea that, you know, they were they were trying to make sure everybody had enough, but not to be blatantly wasteful or overindulge either, okay? They had very specific instructions on cooking and preparing the meat. It had to be roasted over a fire and eaten with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, which means without yeast, so it was flat and didn't rise. They had... You know, they had to eat the meat uh, and eat the meal, should I say, the whole meal. They had to eat the meal dressed and ready to leave in a hurry. Sandals on, you know, their their cloak tucked into their belt, so to speak. Like, they had to be dressed and ready to go on, in a moment's notice. In a moment's notice. So, this is why the bread was unleavened. It is symbolic of the hurry in which they had to leave when the time came, because it would come suddenly. And the bitter herbs represented the bitterness and harshness of their time uh, as slaves in Egypt. At evening time, all the Hebrew people were to slaughter the lamb, which could be taken from the sheep or the goats. But they had to have, that lamb had to be perfect and without blemish. Exodus 12.5 The animals you choose must be, must be a year old male without defect, and you, must, uh, and, you, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So they had to be perfect and flawless and without any blemish and a year old and a male. That is significantly symbolic uh, uh, of what is to come, you know, when it comes to, to Christ. So next they had to spread the blood of the lamb on the top and sides of the doorframe. Verse 7 says, Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the doorframes of the houses where they eat the lambs, referring to their homes. There are many details to this feast and how it was performed. Also, there are symbolic ties to the nature of the burnt offering or sin offerings carried out later by the high priest in the tabernacle or temple. That is why the blood is used symbolically like it was, and the meat was uh, must be roasted over a fire, and whatever is not consumed is, bur- is burnt and virtually consumed by the fire. Now, that, however, is a discussion for another day. So what is important for this episode is, you know, is that the blood on the doorpost, that's what's important, the blood. The blood of a perfect unblemished lamb, Exodus 12, 12 through 13, on the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn both of both people and animals. A lot of times we don't even mention that detail. We just talk about the people, but God says he'll strike down every firstborn of the people and the animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt, because I am the Lord. the The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. When, the, when they followed God's instructions and put the blood of the lamb on the tops and sides of their door, they were spared from God's wrath and judgment. It is common to say that the blood on the top and sides uh, is depicting the cross, the position where the head and the hands would be, so to speak. You know, but what about the feet? Anyways, I want to give you something to add to that picture. The blood of the lamb is definitely symbolic uh, and foreshadowing the finished work of the cross. But let me share this bit of information with you. God's people lived in tents until they came to Egypt where they learned how to make houses from like mud brick. And interestingly, though, the doorposts were often made of stone. This was also an Egyptian custom that they had adopted. You see, the Egyptians believed they, if they carved their names into the stone of the doorframe, at least their names would not be forgotten if, if the house was destroyed or anything like that. But their names would, would live on and not be forgotten. So after adopting many of the Egyptian customs, God had to help them unlearn and return to his ways. Thus, God instructed them to put the blood on the tops and sides of the doorpost to cover the names that were carved into them, to cover the names with the blood. God was teaching them that the only way your name or you as a person will survive for an eternity is by the blood of the Lamb. If you want to live on for eternity, it is by the blood of the Lamb. God had them cover the names that were carved into the to the doorpost. God had them cover the names with the blood, showing them that they are that they are being spared because of the blood, not because of who they are or because of who was in that house. No matter what name was carved on it, that didn't matter. Only the blood mattered. What a beautiful picture. It is not who you are that saves you. It is simply the blood of the lamb. Look at what verse 13 says in Exodus chapter 12. God says, The blood will serve as a sign for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The death angel uh, was not concerned with who was in the house or whose name was even written on that doorpost or carved into it. That didn't matter. Only that it was covered by the blood of the lamb. Those who did not come under the protection of the blood suffered God's wrath from Pharaoh all the way down to the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of the livestock or animals were killed. The only way to escape God's wrath was to was and is to be protected by the blood. In a sense, it was a peace offering, amongst other things. Anytime God rescued Israel or showed them grace and mercy, it was accompanied by an offering or a sacrifice of some kind. Now, in the Gospels, we read like in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, how Jesus prepares to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples, and he tells them that the unleavened bread is his body that is broken for them and for us, and that the wine is his blood that is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 even refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb. Jesus met the requirements. He was perfect and unblemished. He was sinless. He is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. He took the place of the Passover lamb, and in doing so, he declared the only way to be spared from the wrath and judgment of God is to be covered by the blood of the lamb. Like the names in the doorpost, by covering who we are with the blood of Christ, we are spared, and God's judgment passes over us, and we get his grace and mercy instead of his judgment. Passover teaches us that you are Passover teaches us that who you are can't save you. Uh, 
no matter how rich or important you think you are, only the blood of the lamb, only the blood of the lamb can save you, which means it is about it is not about us. It's always been about him. So when you stumble and struggle in your faith, when you mess up, don't let the devil keep you down. It isn't about you. Don't be afraid to come to God. When he looks at a believer, he sa- he sees the blood of his son that covers them, and his judgment and wrath is stayed. It is satisfied and paid in full. The devil will go before God, accusing us and declaring all our sins to him, wanting God to pour out his judgment on us, to kind of provoke him, so to speak. But alas, the high priest, our high priest, makes intercession on our behalf, and he simply states, The price of their sin has already been paid in full. My blood covers them, and God's judgment is satisfied. This isn't a license to sin, by the way. It is a reminder that we are going to sin, and when we do, we don't have to feel like God just wants to punish us for our mistakes and it and doesn't want uh, you know to bless us because we messed up. Don't believe that for a second. The devil is a liar. We will mess up, but God but God stands ready to forgive and pour out his grace and mercy. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. Because Jesus made us worthy of God's grace and mercy. Don't ever diminish the work of the cross or the sacrifice of the Passover lamb of God. Alone we are unworthy and deserving of his wrath. But the moment you come under the protection of the blood of Christ, you are made worthy and righteous before God. And God longs to bless you and show you his ways, which are full of mercy and grace, which is more than sufficient for us. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming the Passover lamb, for laying it all on the line for us. God, the devil wants to keep us buried in our sin, constantly reminding us that we aren't good enough, that we are just screw-ups, constantly letting you down, not worthy of forgiveness or your grace and mercy. Let your people boldly declare that we place our faith in the author and finisher of our faith. We place our hope and trust in the one who paid it all. We have been given the victory over the lies of the enemy because of the finished work of the cross. We are made the righteousness of you because of what Jesus did. Let your people walk in the strength and power of your name, unashamed, not perfect, but with full understanding of the power of your grace and mercy afforded to us because of the blood shed for us, because of the blood that covers us. Because of it, we can boldly come before the throne and silence the enemy. Amen.